Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we're back. You guys didn't know, but we were both gone last week. That's the miracle of scheduling content ahead of time. Anyway, we are both back this week. I'm Void. I'm here with my co-host, Beige. I'm back, too. He said that already. We're both back. Today, we're talking about Star Trek, uh, the new Star Trek movie that just came out, Star Trek Beyond. So we're not going to get into spoiler territory right away. You can listen for a little bit. We'll give you a warning before we get to spoilers. But before we get to talking about the movie, I thought... We haven't actually done a Star Trek episode yet about the shows. We probably will eventually because it's on our list. So we're going to give you a quick like history from us about our history with Star Trek and the shows without going too in-depth because we'll eventually cover that in another episode. Right. So do you want to go first? I can, sure. I have always loved Star Trek. I absolutely adore it because I was five years old. I was four or five, and my dad introduced me to it. My dad was a huge Trekkie. My dad was just our Trekker, but it was Trekkie at the time. And my dad was a huge fan. He introduced this to me, me to this at like age three, maybe four. And we sat the way that our house was laid out. We had a staircase that went from uh, like three stairs that went from the dining room to the living room. And I remember sitting on the staircase beside my dad where he always sat and watched TV there. We always watched Star Trek, the original series back when it was just called Star Trek. And I remember being five years old when they aired the first advertisements for the next generation and nerd raging with him because they were taking the Star Trek off the air for this new series with all of these other people that we didn't know and that it was just absolutely terrible and I hated everything and I wanted my show and I was five, remember, and my dad was just (laughs) angry. And like every night, like we were watching Star Trek, like holding on to it because we didn't have the no DVDs, there were no box sets, you couldn't watch anything except in syndication. We were just angry at this. And so I didn't get a watch of the ne- a lot of the next generation then because as I got older and started going to school, you know, I had to go to bed at a reasonable time. And I think it came on at like nine o'clock central. So at that point, I'd watched Star Trek with my dad and I watched a little bit of it when it was airing, but a lot of it on reruns on Sunday afternoons, that kind of thing. And then when I was in college, I came home uh, about every other weekend, and UPN had Star Trek Voyager at 11 o'clock at night. So I would sometimes go out with my friends when I was home who I didn't get to see very often, or be with my girlfriend, or go to the gym or do something, and come home by 11 and sit and watch Star Trek Voyager on UPN with my dad. And we would sit there, and that was something that we did together. And at that point, that was when DVD sets were brand new. That's when you couldn't just go and get any DVD and str- or any TV show and stream it. You couldn't just go to the store and buy any DVD set that you wanted because all of them were on it. That we were watching uh, deeps or watching Voyager on air as it was going in syndication. So as they released these DVD sets, we were paying for all of the Voyager sets the day that they were released to watch all of the seasons as they as they had originally aired. So we started doing that as what we did together on the weekends and how we spent quality time. So when Voyager was finished with the DVD sets, I went back and started buying him all of the Next Generation DVDs. So we started watching that series from the very beginning all the way through as they were releasing these DVD sets. And we did the same thing with Babylon 5 as well, but that's not Star Trek. We just, this was our thing. We started watching TV shows. And then in 2012, we were watching through Deep Space Nine and we were at the end of season two and my dad died. And we, we were 
all like we were all in. We were getting to the point where this was going to be really good, and we were, we were watching Star Trek together. It was like our thing. Yeah. So so when he died in April of 2012, we were maybe four episodes away from the end of season two, and this is over four years later, and I have not gone back and watched an episode of it. I don't know if I ever will because of just where it was and how it feels. Like I will probably never know what happens in Deep Space Nine because I was watching with my dad and I don't want to finish it without him if if that makes any kind of emotional sense or if it makes any I don't know if it makes any sense but it makes sense emotionally to me yeah no it totally totally does I can understand that like you were doing it with him and you had done yeah. basically that entire like series you know yeah. or I guess franchise, franchise really yeah we just with him yeah so with that one I'm not seeing it so it was actually very hard when Into Darkness came out not to watch it with him because I remember taking him to the theater specifically to watch the 2009 reboot and oh. how much he loved it and I will never ever forget whatever movie I don't remember what movie the original Star Trek Into Darkness trailer came out with where they did the extended open on IMAX and Jennifer and I were sitting there watching it and when they played this it was like the first six minutes when they're on the yeah, planet with the red that. leaves and stuff yep when they have like the uh the mission that starts in yeah. the darkness it's like the the end of the mission right before the actual movie yeah yeah where they have the stinger at the beginning like James Bond or something yeah they're uh they're doing this and that's not going to be my only James Bond reference tonight just so you know <laughs> and uh and they uh I didn't realize there were that many of them when this comes on I realize what this trailer is I just start weeping because this is the first new Star Trek that my dad would never get to experience and so I mean I'm in the middle of the IMAX just crying and I'm okay with that like I've been able to move into you know watching uh, I watched Into Darkness and I went and saw Beyond and I've rewatched the original one so many times but the one that I cannot do is Deep Space Nine because my history with Star Trek is so emotionally colored by the relationship with my father that that it is it has a very special place in my heart yeah no for sure I could see that I don't have anything that extreme in my history <laughs> but that's I don't even know what to say to that that's got to be hard to deal with but it's cool that like you've been yeah. able to get back into it and still like love the new iterations of it you know right yeah because i didn't know if i was going to be able to uh, it was when seeing just the characters doing that and getting all weepy and gooey i was like oh man i may never be able to watch star trek ever again but i'm glad that i have just deep space nine we don't we don't do deep space nine in my household yeah. <laughs> it's not for any of the normal reasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah well for so for me um i guess i started watching out with like the next generation when it was in syndication it was probably okay. like after school when i was watching it if i guess listeners might not know what syndication is if they're not that, as old maybe as not. us syndication is um i guess it's probably still used as a term in tv but it, it, it used to be like uh you know an episode airs a new episode airs every week basically when a show is on the air and then when you reach a certain number of episodes it was usually 100 yep it was usually 100 episodes and if you reached 100 episodes, your show could go into syndication. So that would mean that all of your new episodes would still release on that like schedule that you had before. But you would take that whole backlog of 100 episodes that had seasons that were completed, and you would play one every single night on some channel at the same time every weeknight generally. So you get five episodes every week. And they might not be in order. They might not go like with the seasons. It might be kind of random. And that's just how syndication works. So, I mean, 
that's where I started with Star Trek was okay. um, the next generation in syndication. I don't remember the exact context, but I remember I liked it. And then I, I might have even caught the end of it like when it was airing, but I don't know. Yeah. I was kind of looking at the timeline. I don't know if I was old enough, but I definitely watched Voyager every week with my family right. as it was coming out. Awesome. Because by that point, everyone in my family liked Star Trek. And... <laughs> You know, my parents liked the original series, and then they liked The Next Generation, and my brother and I had gotten into The Next Generation through syndication. So when Voyager came out, it was this new one that we could all get into together. So that was like a family activity on the couch every week, same time, watching Voyager. And we watched, I think we watched every season of Voyager together because we were all in the house at the same time for those. So that was really cool. Like, that was, that's a family moment that I kind of remember forever you know, just watching yeah. Voyager with my family, which was really fun. And then um, since then, very recently, like in the last year, I went back and watched. I tried to check out some other ones on Netflix. So I tried Deep Space Nine and mm. I tried Enterprise and I just I couldn't get into them. But I gave it a shot. Like, I, I don't know. How it's, far did you get into Deep Space Nine? I'm actually curious. So this was when I was really triaging my to do list. And if you yeah. don't know, you can look in our backlog of episodes, I have a whole episode about like how I do my <laughs> my to-do list yeah. and get through my backlog. This is when I was in the middle of that. So basically, I would try the pilot and then a couple episodes. And if I wasn't feeling oh. it, I would look online for like best episodes list or like essential episodes list. And I would kind of make myself my own mega mix of episodes and watch through those. So I did, right. I tried to do that for Deep Space Nine. And, like, the characters, just none of them ever became interesting to me. And the crew never went anywhere. So they're yeah. on a space station. Like, and I know, I know all of the arguments for it. I know why people like it, and that's fine. It's just not for me. Um, and then right. Enterprise, it, you know, it was a rocky show. Like, there were some episodes in there yeah. that were actually really good. Like, I really liked the pilot and then it kind of loses its way. It feels like one where if they were making 10 episode seasons instead of 24 episode seasons, it might have been an amazing show, you know, like that's really true. I could see that condense the narrative down. And then um, there are just some some really cool episodes in it that are worth watching. Like, I think it might even be I don't know if it's the finale or if it's right towards the finale of season four, which is the last season, I believe. They have some episodes that are all about like the founding of the Federation, which was super cool to see. Just to kind of like oh, okay. get the backstory, even without having like the wider context of the show and what was happening. I liked those a lot. So I ended up finding a bunch of Enterprise episodes that I liked, but I I don't like the show as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, because I've seen a couple of episodes of it that I really liked. Uh, for instance, when they created the first teleporter, I believe, was in there, and I really liked that one, or at least when they were experimenting with it. I can't remember the, the details about it. I remember that it was dealing with the transporter, and... It was great, but then I've seen other episodes which just started out with T'Pol jumping rope for no reason whatsoever other than, you know, the obvious reason. And it's just like, well, okay, then this is not the kind of show I want to watch. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's very broad strokes history of Star Trek. And like I said, someday we'll probably get back into everything we just talked about and dive in deeper and do a whole episode about it. But today we want to talk about Beyond. So again, quickly before we touch on the new movie because we didn't have a podcast when the last two came out you kind of already said you think the the reboot from 2009 is fantastic and you really liked it and then you liked into darkness even though you kind of had to get over that hump with not having your dad around anymore right yeah 
I kind of like Into Darkness. I am tolerant of it, I suppose. It just doesn't actually feel very cohesive, and I never feel threatened by anything that's going on. I don't actually feel the tension in the movie that it feels entirely forced to me. It's one of those shows that I can watch and appreciate it for the fun, silly show that it is, but it's never going to be one of my go-tos. I may have all of the viewings that I'm ever going to have of it out of my system. It feels too much like a rehash, and you know, I was thinking about this, making notes for it, but you know, The Force Awakens gets a lot of guff about uh, following the format of A New Hope so much. Yeah. But, you know, they really did overlook that they actually did a remake with Khan in Into Darkness and went right over the same material. And there was not a lot of complaint about it like there was with The Force Awakens. And uh, I'm just like, why? I wonder if it's because <laughs> the franchise isn't nearly as uh, as mainstream at this point as Star Wars. It might be something like that because... I feel differently. Like, I mean, um, I agree with you. The right. 2009 Star Trek reboot. I love that one. I think it's a great movie. Um, I like that they kind of made their own timeline for the movies so they can get away from all of the baggage of the show and really do their own thing. Right. So the the show lives in what's called... I did some research before the episode, guys. <laughs> the show lives in what's Ooh. called the Prime Universe. And there's, there's like a couple different versions of the Prime Universe. One includes all the shows and just the shows. And then another version of it includes like their expanded universe novels and comics and stuff like that. But that's the Prime Universe. And then these movies take place in what's now called the Kelvin Universe. So the Kelvin was Jim Kirk's father's ship. And all the stuff that happens to that ship in the first Star Trek reboot is what made this called the Kelvin universe. So I like this universe overall. I really like the 2009 movie. And then I actually really liked Into Darkness. I didn't think it was as good as the first one, but I think I appreciate it a lot more than you because I was never really into the original Star Trek movies. I think I've watched them all once maybe and even then i don't think i've seen all of the originals i i know i've seen wrath of khan but i i think maybe one time ever in my entire life okay so having this as a rehash and like a retelling that's been twisted on wrath of khan i didn't care at all because it's basically that. a new story to me you know have you seen star trek uh four i think the voyage home uh is that the one where they have to go save spock it's the one that's the search for spock that's three i believe um is it the one where they talk to whales that's the one where they talk to whales okay. yeah exactly I, I used to love this when i was a kid i don't know if you remember i you may be a little young for it i uh, haven't it seen that have one just, i just know what it's okay, about it's terrible like but I, it's <laughs> it's it's really bad like like objectively bad and i used to have a storybook for star trek 4 when you you mentioned the original movies that reminded me i had a storybook of star trek 4 that had photos from the movie and it had a read-along narrative that was basically like an audiobook on a on one of the small records it was a vinyl record that you could read along with it that would play like an audiobook as you went along with it and this was like i wore it out like this was one of my favorite things growing up when it came out and looking back i wonder what was wrong with me because it was a (laughs) terrible story like there is nothing good about it i went when i was older i found this movie and it was when i realized you know that this movie and i could rent it or do something and i i don't even know how old i was but i watched the movie and was like why did i love this so much as a kid (laughs) this is really bad like 
I knew everything that was going to happen as it was happening. I'm like, I remember loving this. Why did I love these whales so much? It was, ah, and I just, I hated it that, that, that the movie was, I have such fond memories of the tiny little kid's storybook and record that, that played with it. But yeah, that's amazing. You need, you need to watch that sometime just to see how bad they were looking at me, how bad they were making Star Trek movies uh, at that point. Cause maybe. they were, it was really painful. I have. I don't want to get dan- tangented too much because I know we'll talk about this whenever we do mm. the episode. But I mean, I mean, I have seen all of the next generation movies and like generations, right. which kind of crosses the two. So I mean, I've seen a bunch of them. But okay, so we both generally like the new rebooted universe that J.J. Abrams kicked off. Right. General impressions of this one before we get into spoilers. I liked it. Um, this is, I'm talking about Star Trek Beyond now, the movie that just came out. I, I liked it a lot, and I feel like. With this one, I feel like they're finally hitting their stride. Like, um, the first one felt like they had to reboot it, and there's a lot of legwork that goes into that. The second one, it felt like, okay, they have this new universe. They're going to take a story that we already know, like Wrath of Khan, even though I didn't know it that well. But I could tell they took a story that was already known and totally twisted it and fit it into their new universe. This is the first one that feels like an original creation, and they're, you know, the universe is established, the characters as a crew are established and they're hitting their stride with it. So I really like this one. It might be my favorite of the three. I'm not sure. I kind of have to give it more time and sit on it and probably watch it again, but it's right up there with the first one, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really liked this one. It is, in my mind, the best of the three so far, just in terms of how fun it was to watch that that i love the first one for that it's my go-to sometimes jennifer and i will have it as our go-to movies for like birthdays and just chilling it's like i don't really want to pick anything to watch but i want to spend time with you and you know watch a movie just kind of hang out like let's watch star trek and we know exactly what it is like we can watch that one because we love it and this one might replace that because it's just as fun to watch because they're hitting their stride with it this is this this is the James Bond movie that I wanted to come after uh, Quantum of Solace because and, and here's my here's my point on this one that I was afraid they were going to stop making Star Trek movies before they ever got a chance to have a Star Trek movie if that makes any sense where they hit their stride this is what we're doing with the new universe here is an adventure with this crew and I was really afraid that they weren't going to actually get this third one made where or they were going to do something completely different with it because when I was watching James Bond you're watching the new movies and you have movies where I'm learning to be James Bond. I'm now I'm sad because I'm James Bond and then the third movie was am I too old to be James Bond? And that's really what I was afraid they were going to do with the Star Trek movies is I'm joining Starfleet. Oh, cool. I've done my thing in Starfleet and saved the universe. Now it's time for me to get out of Starfleet. And now we're just leaving. We hate everything and we're doing something completely new and not going to be actually have the outer space adventure. So I was really glad that they gave them a full Star Trek adventure. Yeah. And if I think that's what I was trying to get at. I think we're both thinking the same thing. Here. Yeah. It's like it's finally established enough that they can just have an adventure. They don't have to do all this legwork yeah. ahead of time to like establish so much of the universe and the crew and the setting and all of that. And um, yeah, I just I really liked it. It was really good. So let's probably start getting into spoilers. I, I really liked where they put the timing of this movie. And we were talking about this the other day. You said you didn't catch it when you were listening. But when right. Kirk is doing his initial log 
in this movie and he's talking about the mission and he says that he says something like we're just under three years in this mission or just over three years into the mission but the timing works out so that this would essentially take place just after like the timeline of the original series because that only ran for three seasons so even though they've retconned it like into a new universe they're still not trying to like overwrite the original series they're trying to do their own thing with it but the timeline is like after when those events would have taken place so if you want to you can infer that they had a lot of the same experiences as that original crew in the tv show and i thought that was a really cool nod to the show and i think that's a really wonderful thing to have done at I didn't even think about whenever I was watching it that it never even t- crossed my mind that the first show, the first show only went three seasons. And when you said that, it was like, that's a wonderful way to not also to completely remove themselves from the constraints of worrying about telling those stories again, that yes, they've happened. They probably had a lot of the same ones, but as viewers, we can watch it and just assume they're not going to just take, you know, the Gorn and just make a movie out of it at this point where Kirk has to get into the arena and fight the giant lizard man where that's happened. And let's move on and tell a new story. Right. Which is really cool about it. The other thing about that that I liked was in that same log, he said that things are starting to feel episodic. And I thought that was really funny. I mean, that's it's like a nod in the same direction that they just had all of these episodes, you know, the same experiences. And he actually said things are starting to feel episodic. I laughed so hard and I was the only person in the theater to laugh. And I was like, you people are not appreciative of what these filmmakers are doing. Yeah, that, that was cool. And then um, another thing that I liked that like kicked off the movie was that they did the same thing as Into Darkness, where they started with like basically you see the very end of the mission that took place right before the main mission for this movie. So you kind of uh-huh. get like without them having to spell it out for you, you see the end of an away mission or, you know, it was probably a long extended mission that had many parts to it. And you can infer everything that happened just by seeing the end. And Uh it was funny. I liked that because they actually had aliens, which, you know, a lot of the time in Star Trek, aliens are humans that are different colored. In this case, they were actually alien, which was pretty cool, you know? And then (laughs) one of them ends up getting transported back with him and then at the end of the movie you realize that it's been made part of the crew i just i love that just it's a little tie-in from the beginning to the end when i saw that i clapped at the very end when i saw i can't remember the little dude's name who was basically walking around with him like a pet i think they gave him like just a generic human name like kevin or something that's awesome because i loved it like when they were when when he was just walking around i I clapped i was so happy to see that and looking at these little guys the uh since we're talking spoilers how tiny they were I loved their voices. Oh my goodness, the fact that they were these booming, wonderful voices, the way that they were talking, and then when they were little, I was like, I loves it. Like, I loves, <laughs> I loves this. And it, it was so silly, but that's the kind of thing I like out of science fiction. I like silly science fiction. And yeah. so seeing that, that they're not taking this so seriously, and honestly, like the way Star Wars is taking it in a lot of ways, where they tried to go way too serious with the... Uh, general hux thing being you know what it was i like it i like silly i like the silly yeah and you need to you need to inject that in especially when you like you're telling serious stories and like personal stories about the crew and how they interact like you need some humor in there otherwise you end up with things like batman versus superman and you know it's just no joy ever we never feel joy doesn't make for a good movie but yeah i thought they did (laughs) 
humor really well in this one. And I mean, speaking of like the characters, I love how they ended up splitting up the characters. Like if you've seen the previews, this ship gets destroyed, right? That's not a big spoiler. If you've watched any of the trailers, when the ship is getting destroyed and like as the escape pods are going out and they're all escaping the ship in various ways, they the crew ends up kind of organically into a couple different groups. And it's almost all pairs of like two and three characters. And it gives them it's like an organic way it doesn't feel forced at all and it gives them a way to like pair off characters and have interesting interactions and i thought that was like the best part of the movie was just seeing different groups of characters in different mixes interacting yeah and and none of it seemed arbitrary none of it seemed like oh we're just pairing these two because they're the leftover characters that their interactions were very natural. It made for character development where we were watching these people in this situation interact like people would in this situation. And I really, really appreciated that because it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes you'll just have, oh, these are the leftover crew members. We're going to show a couple of flashes of them, you know, climbing up some rocks. I may be guilty of that in the uh, first novel I wrote. I'm, I'm just saying is all. And so, but... This one made sense. Everything about it did not seem as though they were... Whoever was writing this knew exactly what they were doing with an ensemble cast, and that's very hard to do. It was uh, it was Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is the main writer for this, which I thought was really cool. Okay. There was, he had a co-writer. There was someone else, and I don't know that person's name off the top of my head, but Simon Pegg got to write this movie basically with whatever the partner was, and then um, the director was Justin Lin, who's done the Fast and the Furious Woo! movies. Yeah. So yes. they got an action director. Big but they... fan. Love me some fast cars. <laughs> fast cars in space. That may be why I like this so much. Maybe. Uh, But I mean, it's cool that they actually had someone who, you know, I'm sure that he was drawing on like their interpersonal relationships as people when Mm -hmm. he was writing it because he's part of the cast. So he knows how they interact together like that. That might be one of the reasons that all of the pairs of characters are written so well. And I mean, I that's a good point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the reason. And like who I wonder who your favorite pair of characters was, because for me, I think it was probably Spock and Bones. And I, yeah. I have a feeling you feel the same way. Spock and Bones was my absolute favorite because that's a relationship that you don't get to see a lot in the other movies, but that you know was there. And then they actually took it to a completely new level in this because of the situation that I just loved that they advanced the relationship between those characters so much. And then I also love that Chekhov and Kirk got paired together because of Anton Yelkin having just died, seeing him get paired with the captain and go through this stuff and being so important to the success of the mission made me so happy to see that he got a really good role as his last role like this. Yeah, it wasn't just a bit part. And I mean, not that he was really a bit part in the other ones, but it it did feel like he was because he was with the captain. He was more like towards the center of the action, whereas Uh he was more on the side of it in the last two, even though he did have a big part in those as well. So I was glad to see that, too. And I mean, speaking of that, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really cool that at the end they like dedicated the movie to him partially you know oh they, yeah it said for anton um as one of the first things in the credits and they also said like what it was it dedicated to leonard nimoy and it has yeah i think it had like dedicated to leonard nimoy and the years that he was doing it or something like that and then it flashed out and just said for anton 
And I got all gooey inside. I mean, my wife was crying when she first found out that Anton Yelkin died. Like we, we are an Anton Yelkin household. <laughs> and when he, when he, like, like she really loves him. Like she was a big, like specifically Anton Yelkin fan and would see movies just because he was in it because he was a very talented actor. He was very like fun to watch and he pretty much made everything that he was in better. And when he died, it was just like, he wasn't doing anything stupid. He had a Jeep that he hadn't gotten the recall fixed on. Yeah. And it was just completely tragic how this guy died. I just went, at this point, I got all sad and gooey. Jennifer said she might not see this movie because she's not ready and will to, when she sees him on screen will start to cry. And I swear to you that there was a lady behind me in the theater that when it said for Anton started sniffling and crying. People love Anton Yelkin as much as I do. And that actually makes me really happy that it's like we're not complete weirdos. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just thought it was... It was a really nice thing to do since it's his last role. And like, I didn't know him as an actor outside of this series. This is the only place that I've seen him that I can think of unless I saw him without knowing. But I mean, they've talked so much about how like when you are a crew in a Star Trek show or movies or whatever, you really are like a family and you get to know each other because of the nature of the Star Trek. Like so much of it is the interactions between the crew. So to lose someone like that and then they said that they're not going to recast him. They they'll have to like write the character out. But I think in a way that's very respectful. It's probably the right choice to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just wanted I think to that's mention really respectful. Yeah, since you brought it up. Like I thought it was cool that they did the for Anton. I thought it was really nice that they did the dedication to Leonard Nimoy also. And then the other thing that was cool with Leonard Nimoy was that they kind of gave him a nod in the actual script because they yeah. had his character as like the old Spock who who's basically an, the ambassador, right? Ambassador Spock yeah. died. And then the Zachary Quinto Spock found out about it and he kind of had to process it throughout the movie. It tied directly in with like Leonard Nimoy passing and, you know, he was kind of a mentor to Zachary Quinto because they took on the same role. And then at, I guess not the very end, but really close to the end when he is given um, Ambassador Spock's belongings and he has oh, to yeah. open them up and you actually see a picture of the original Star Trek crew. I thought that was very well done. Like, I wasn't expecting it at all. That totally took me by Uh -uh. surprise. It completely surprised me. And the moment that it showed up, when they showed that photograph, it was, it really was the same kind of feeling that they were trying to evoke, uh, trying to evoke from Spock in me that I saw it and it was like, (gasps) it's them from, ah. And I was like, I felt that nostalgia. I felt that that's my Star Trek crew. Those are the ones that I loved. And in the old, red star trek uniforms and things like that yeah so that was cool so other things we liked about the movie um what did you think of the new character i loved her like i loved her bunches bunches and bunches and bunches i'm so glad that throughout the entire movie there wasn't a twist that there was not her being working for anybody that she was a legitimately new character who got admitted to starfleet at the end of it, when she's going to be able to get on a crew, I was like, Jayla was fantastic. I don't even remember. I, I didn't look up who the actress was or anything. I've been meaning to. I just keep forgetting. She's fantastic. I didn't know how it was going to work. But when she was talking about her house so much, don't break my house. <laughs> it was, 
I just loved it. Like, I, I know exactly what she feels like. I, I understand why she feels that way. They they made her a real character because of that. Again, this is kind of the theme of this movie is they made these being they made these actors play real people in this situation as opposed to playing cardboard cutouts of people that they they didn't just play these characters they had motivations that they were three-dimensional in so many ways and she was too i i liked her i didn't i don't think i loved her as much as you do but i i thought it was well done and i guess the thing that i appreciate about her name is Jayla, right? Um, yeah. About Jayla the most was that she doesn't feel shoehorned in because in Into right. Darkness, there's a character, I don't even remember her name now, but she's like the daughter of the guy who ends up being a bad guy. And she just like, she gets shoehorned in halfway into the movie and she serves no real purpose. I mean, I, I know how they used her in the plot, but she doesn't need to be in that movie. That's just dumb. And Mm-mm. this time, um, the new character actually felt like it fit into the movie. So I appreciated that part. Yeah, I got home last night and Jennifer asked me, so uh, how was the new the new woman in it? And I was like, she was awesome. I love her. She's like, great. So and she was like, so was she like in there like the woman who took off her clothes in the second one? And, oh, and was I she in there? And I was like. Yeah, like that's all I remember about yeah. her, and, I know that, and for the exact opposite reason, like oh, of course I remember the woman who took off her clothes. It's like no, like that's all she did. That is the most. I don't even what's the word I'm looking for. It's the most memorable thing that she did was a three second scene that was there for no reason whatsoever, and it's just like, well, you did not need to be in this movie. No, it, yeah. So I'm, and Jayla I'm, did. I'm glad that Jayla was treated in a way that actually she fit into the movie. So it, it was well done in that way. And I think, you know, seeing the end and seeing that she got admitted to Starfleet, like if she ends up in the next movie, I wouldn't be upset. I think it would be fine. And then one of the other things that I really liked was the really sweet space station that they made for this movie. Like it's a new setting. Basically all of the Federation species are represented on this one giant space station. And they basically said like, if they needed a new heart for the Federation, they couldn't have it on anyone's planet because that would be showing favoritism. So they essentially made not a planet, but like it's a giant enclosed space station that has its own like inner fields of gravity and is filled with oxygen and like every federation member is represented there i just thought that was a really cool setting to have in this movie and then they used it well too throughout the whole thing they did it was called yorktown right it was called yorktown and every time they said yorktown i heard hamilton in my mind (laughs) with the battle of yorktown 1776 Every time they said it. And I'm really waiting for the when the big battle at the end plays and uh, when the big battle at the end happens and there this is out on DVD and Blu-ray for a while. Somebody's going to have to take this battle and put the Battle of Yorktown as the music that plays on it. And I will be so happy. Like you have (laughs) no idea how happy I am that I'm going to be to see that fan video. Because uh, I was already imagining it when it was going on in the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the space station was sweet. And then the other thing that I have to mention, that I, I loved it, even though it was dumb. It was like the best kind of dumb, right? Um, do you know about <laughs> teching? You know about teching the tech, right? I know that you know this. Listeners might not. So yes. when they were writing, I believe it was The Next Generation, they got to the point mm-hmm. where they could write the scripts and they were formulaic enough that at times they would just need techno babble. So the script writers would just write tech the tech. 
and that was their placeholder. They would legitimately write that in the script and then come back later and just put techno babble in there, whatever made sense. So tech the tech is a term that's used in the Star Trek world, right? For when you just have some kind of technology solution to a problem. So the way that they did it in this movie was when they're coming up towards the end and they have this giant swarm (laughs) of ships and there's no way they can possibly take them out with the old ship that they're in. And somehow they determined that if they use an old school radio frequency, they can make the ships explode, right? That's It's like the most <laughs> was, tech the tech, right? Isn't it? It was. And what I think what, what was going on, they were disrupting the signals that allowed them to communicate between the ships and that it would move them out of formation and then they would collide and explode. But when you're seeing it on screen, they're just using these radio waves to make spaceships explode. So, exactly. They tech the tech. And that means it, they got to tech the tech in such a way that they got to play a song to make the ships explode and as they were like queuing up the song i was like they have to have picked something good for this right it has to be something iconic and she fires it up and it's sabotage and i get oh i just had the biggest smile on my face because not only did they tie it into the first movie like the beginning of the first movie where kirk and even kirk yeah even kirk when he heard it made a comment or at least smiled the camera cut to him where he he appreciated this movie or appreciated this song and so they tied it into that when he's in the car in the very first star trek reboot movie and he's playing sabotage as he's trashing his father-in-law's car and So he has this little smile because he gets it. And then the other thing is, like, I guess J.J. Abrams is a huge Beastie Boys fan, and he always tries to use their music in any way that he can. So this is like a nod to J.J. Abrams, even though he wasn't directing the movie, basically. Awesome. I didn't know that. When they kick in with Sabotage and their ship starts, like, surfing the wave of these swarm ships and they all just start exploding, I had the dumbest big grin on my face. It was it was awesome. I loved that part so much. I know, and physics have no place in the Star Trek universe. Nope. I'm sitting here like, this is not how physics works. I understand that none of this is possible at all, ever, and I don't care. Because I'm listening to the Beastie Boys blow up alien like spaceship swarms and watching the USS Franklin crowd surf a bunch of aliens it's ridiculous and i have the same huge smile on my face and then when they mention it was uh snap wexley i believe who who the dude who plays him and he in everything and yeah. uh, the force awakens mentions that it's classical music i just giggle and guffaw i'm like <laughs> because i didn't expect that that is the last thing i expected was to hear beastie boys being called classical not classic not like classic rock not yeah. like aerosmith or something but classical like bach and beethoven was brilliant because it's been hundreds of years right i laughed at that too i think it was wasn't it bones kind of goes is this classical music and spock stops for a second and he like cocks his head and listens and he goes i believe so <laughs> like oh was it okay see i thought it was the dude who played snap wexley in the whole thing but no, no you're right it was bones okay yeah it, that was really funny it was so well done oh so i i really like this movie i think you did too yeah very very much and I definitely recommend it. If you've seen any of the Star Trek reboots or you're a Star Trek fan, I would give it two thumbs up for sure. I did want to talk about, and this is, I don't want to like bash on the movie because 
I, I just don't want to do that. That's not fun. But I, you and I were talking about it after we watched it. And right. we were just kind of talking about things that we would like to see either improved or iterated on or worked on in the future movies in this particular franchise with this crew and this setting, this universe, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, the main thing that kind of stuck out to me now that we have three movies to draw from, it seems like the villains all have really, really weak motivations and they're yep. very, very shallow. They're all just angsty. I think every single villain's motivation has been revenge. Am I wrong? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I think so. I mean, Nero's all like, I'm angry. I'm getting revenge on humanity. I waited through the years for Spock. I said Spock. Waiting through the years for Spock. And then, you know, Khan's like, Khan, angry crew. Ah. And then, you know, Idris Elba is like, I'm angry. <laughs> I don't know how I to do, do it. That. No. But I know, right? Like, their motivations are just weak. They seem underdeveloped. Like, all of them are basically human, which is something that kind of bugged me, too. I mean, I know that, like, Khan was a superhuman race, and Nero was uh, a Romulan. Romulan. And, you know, like, this guy... Well, this guy was human, but then he got technologically changed, but then he became human again in the end. Like, they've never actually had a real alien feeling villain or not even a villain but someone who's like on the other side of the conflict you know it's yeah. it's always someone who's just basically human and i feel like that's a missed opportunity like i would love to see them really do something more alien in the future does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah it really does i was wondering the same thing throughout the entire movie that that none of it actually feels alien that none of them actually feel like they're they're different and that's kind of a thing that star trek does i mean star trek is all about the anthropology anthropomorphization of the aliens to make them seem more human. It's yeah. been what it's done since the 60s. I mean, that is they put makeup on some people and I don't know if you remember the Klingons in the original series. <laughs> they were basically, basically just humans, yeah. They were just humans that had like really bad facial hair and so it was that oh, it was that's I, what it wait, does. I have an anecdote because Oh, please do. I don't remember where this took place in Deep Space 9, so I don't know if you watched or not. But there's an okay. episode where I, like I said, I had watched like the best ofs, right? I, I looked up the list of best of ones that you have to watch. There's one where they go right. back in time and they end up in the Trouble with Tribbles episode. And that was one <gasps> no. of the, that was one of the only episodes of Deep Space Nine that I watched the entire thing and actually really, really liked it. And in that one, Worf is one of the people who goes back in time and they see that bar fight that happens in the original series between yeah. the Klingons and I think it's Kirk. It's one of the crew members. And right. they all look at the Klingon and they're like, he doesn't look like, I don't remember the exact, it's been a while since I watched it, but they're all basically like, that doesn't look like a Klingon. What's the deal with that? And they look to Worf and he's like, we don't talk about it. Like... <laughs> He totally just shrugs it off, but they also acknowledge in the universe that Klingons used to look different. It's it's really funny. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look that up. I may have to watch that particular episode because that is brilliant. That's something that like Brandon Sanderson and the people on the Writing Excuses podcast talk about. It's called, uh, they call it hanging the lantern on something that you know you've messed up, you've changed something, but you're aware of it, that something has changed. So you hang oh. a lantern on it, call attention to it, and then move on. That uh, that they do it all the time. Like Brandon Sanderson, it's, it's uh, just like, 
I don't even remember any anyone in particular from his books, but it's just like, I recognize that this has changed, that this is a problem. Here it is, and now let's move on and tell the actual story we're here to tell. Where it, it's a very, once I heard that on that podcast, I've noticed other pieces of media doing it. Just like that with Spock's like, yeah, we just don't talk about that. And move That's on. Cool. It's like, okay, we acknowledge it. Let's move on. It's part of this. We, we're good. Yeah, I, I would recommend look up which episode that is because I bet you would like mm. it because I know you love the original series. And I do, even though I know you're not going to rewatch Deep Space Nine, but that one is like a standalone that I actually liked it. And if yep. I didn't like that series as a whole and I still liked it, you would probably love it. Uh, it's true. Sorry, I, I pivoted away from the main topic, but I thought you would like that. So that's fantastic. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I know this bugs you more than it bugs me, but right. you've said in, in a bunch of different series, we've talked about this lately, but um, Star Trek in particular, the other day when we were talking, you said you feel like there's no real danger or no real stakes to the movie. Yeah. I This was the same way. I was expecting somebody to die. And I'm not the kind of person who always wants somebody to die in a narrative. A lot of times, I just want to have more stories with the people I like. Which is why Star Trek doesn't tend to kill people off, because they it's an episodic series. You're going to have the same people that you like doing the same things that you like them doing. But I figured with Star Wars killing off Han in The Force Awakens that they would have played the Me Too card just to show that we're willing to do it as well. I kind of expected them to do it with Sulu. I kind of expected them to do it with uh, Chekhov because of Anton Yelkin. And I'm glad they didn't with him. I'm really glad they didn't because I think that would have been too much with Spock dying as well. But, I mean, outside of Ambassador Spock dying because Leonard Nimoy passed away, I never felt like this was there was a threat for them. Like, I think you're the one who said, I think it was a text message yesterday, where they're plummeting down... You know, the ship has been blown apart. They're plummeting toward the planet, and it's like, yeah, they're going to get out of this one. It's, yeah, they're not going to die. I basically felt that way. I'm like, yeah, the, the main crew is safe. Like, And I think that's just kind of part of Star Trek. Like, the main crew is safe. You know, the stakes are never right. about the crew in general. It's usually about how the crew is affecting the world or how the world might be affected by their actions, or it's about some right. kind of, like, interpersonal stakes you know something about the relationships between the characters that may change or relationships that might get broken or damaged things like that you know it's not about yeah. people dying whereas star wars they're not afraid to like kill off a character or lob off a limb yeah. or you know change the core of who somebody is through corruption or the force or all of these different ways like i love that about star wars but i, I don't think star trek is trying to be about that and i'm okay with it so i guess it, it didn't really bug me the same way it bugged you, just because I don't think that's what they're going for. Right. And I think part of it is also because you mentioned that the stakes are more emotional and more a lot with people, that the relationship stakes. And that's one thing about this movie that I don't think it did terribly well. One of the early reviews of Star Trek Beyond that I read said that Kirk's emotional journey is basically being bored with his job. And it's true. That is what he's dealing with, is being bored with his job out in space, not sure with, you know, he's doing this for the right reasons. But the more I thought about it, I talked to Jennifer about this, and while watching it, I didn't feel it. I never felt that it was a legitimate concern, but going back in, watching it again, 
that's a real thing that people deal with. That is very much a high stake situation of being bored in your job and wanting to get out of it one way or another. And I didn't recognize that while watching it and going back now that I thought about it, there are stakes there. You're right. That is definitely just because he's not dying doesn't mean that he's not changing and evolving. When I came home and she's like, yeah, that's something people deal with, Beach. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, and I think that humanized it in a good way. Like, you know, he yeah. we learned that he like had put in for um, a promotion basically to what is it exactly? Do you remember the rank? Vice Admiral. Vice it Admiral. was the Vice Admiral and he yeah. got it. Yeah, and he got it. So, I mean, it's really it's an emotional journey for him realizing like what he wants to be doing with his life. And it sounds I mean, it, it could have been angsty, but. As somebody who's actually been in the workforce for a while now, this is something that you deal with, right? It's not something you really yeah. think of like much when you're in your teens or early 20s. But after you've been at one job for a while, you start to think, is this what I want to be doing with all my time? Should I look for a new job? Should I change careers? Am I happy? Like you have to stop and ask yourself, like, am I actually happy or am I just doing this because this is what I've been doing? And it's such like a real world concern and to see it as a core part of Kirk, this movie, I felt like it humanized him in a good way. And this is one of those things that while I didn't notice it while watching it, thinking back to it, a lot of the stuff in the movie makes a lot more sense thinking about that as being a truly important part to the character. Instead of judging it, like I read the review being like, oh, look at you, you're bored with your job. It's like, oh, man. That has to be rough doing this and hating where he's at. That that it's thinking back on it, I did leave this movie feeling, huh. And that's what I want to leave a movie feeling like. When I see credits, if I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home and eat or do whatever, that's not a movie that's going to stick with me. But a movie that makes me at the very end, when the credits roll, I go, huh. And start thinking about it for days and days. That's a movie that that succeeded at what it set out to do. And I really think that this movie did. And I've been thinking about and analyzing it and looking at character motivations over the last day or so. And I'm like, yep, this was this movie did exactly what it set out to do. And with people I like and had interactions that were good. And for all of its flaws, it was fun. It, it was. It was really fun. And like I left it feeling like I had gotten a complete story and it was a good yes. story. But I also left it feeling like I immediately want to know what the very next mission is for them. Right. And the thing is, when we get the yes, next movie, it I probably won't be the next mission. It'll be like, you know, they'll kick it down another six months or another year into their journey. But coming out of this, I want to know on the next mission when they're trying to accomplish whatever, how are Kirk and spock reacting because both of them thought about leaving the crew and both mm -hmm. of them internally through like the events of the movie and just through thinking things through they've decided to really buy into the crew as their family and this is where they want to be so the attitude on the very next mission is going to be different and i think they're going to yep. embrace it and kind of love their jobs in a new way and then i also wanted to know like now that Spock has done that and Spock has kind of processed some of his thoughts with being a Vulcan and um, Ahura, like, I want to know where their relationship goes to. I basically want to know, like, the very next step for all these characters. And I know that the next movie, when it eventually comes out, is going to be like, you know, five or six more steps for the next characters. They're going to skip over the very next yep. one. But that's what I wanted to see walking out of there. So it's kind of left to my imagination, yep. which is fine. But 
It, and it's going to be good when you see the next movie because you're going to see the ramifications of what happened there and having seen them matured because of it. And they're going to be an honestly a more interesting place three years down the road than in the very next one, which is why I think as a film series, this works honestly maybe better than as a TV show with the episodic format uh, because you get to see the big points. You get to see the landmark and keystone moments as opposed to seeing every last detail where you get bored with, where you, it's harder to see the changes in people and There's characters. no filler episodes in a movie series. Yeah, none. You know? And I like that. So, okay. So overall, I give it definitely recommendation. Thumbs up. How about you? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Go see it. Go see We're it. We're probably going to see it again. I will definitely see it again when it comes out. I don't know if I'll see it again in theaters, but I don't usually rewatch things in theaters. Um, that's right. another discussion. The though. only reason that I would is because Jennifer hasn't seen it and she's a huge fan of them as well. Well, with that, I think it's time for our weekly geekery. Uh, if you don't know, that is where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. Before we get into that, I wanted to say that I was a guest host or a guest star i was a guest i was a guest on the geek 101 podcast and i got to talk with ariel about overwatch and it was super fun we talked all about like the new patch with anna and the new characters and a bunch of balance changes and just kind of like overwatch in general he also plays on ps4 and i play on pc so we got to talk a little bit about like console versus pc differences it was a ton of fun. So if you've never heard of the Geek 101 podcast, they do like comic book news. And they, they one of the guys who's on their owns, I think he's either the owner or the manager. I think he owns a comic book shop. And they're really fascinating to listen to. So we'll drink, drop a link in the show notes for the Geek 101 podcast. If you want to go and listen to the episode I was on or if you want to just go check them out, they are fantastic. Okay, with that being said, what's your weekly geekery? I've been playing Chrono Trigger like mad. After our JRPG episode, I started thinking about Chrono Trigger. I went on vacation and brought my wife's 2DS with my Nintendo DS Chrono Trigger and just started playing it. And it's been years since I beat this game. I don't remember anything about it. And it has pretty much taken most of my waking hours. When I'm not working on Ruby and Rails or getting a couple of games in to learn Ana on Overwatch, I'm playing chrono trigger and it is magnificent get the ds version if you haven't played it before i suggest the ds version over any of the others just because of because i don't like ios ports but if you like the ios one there's one on ios and android that you can get for ten dollars but i like the ds one because it includes all of the extra stuff that wasn't included in the super nintendo version and it's just super fun the story is is still engaging and I still care about these characters that a, a game that came out in the early 90s like this holds up every bit as much as it did before. And it has started me back on wanting to play all of the JRPGs that I can, where I downloaded Final Fantasy VI on my phone again today. I'm playing Doom and Destiny as well on my phone, and I'm pretty much going to be spending a lot of time playing JRPGs. And it's because of Chrono Trigger. That is just awesome. That's awesome. I love, and I will, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say that the iOS version of Chrono Trigger is actually really good. And that's the one that I beat and I loved it. So, oh, is it? Think, think about uh, whatever platform works for you. Chrono Trigger is an amazing game. If you can get a copy of it and you haven't ever played it and you like JRPGs, you should get that copy and you should play it. Just make sure that you know that there are, that the newer versions of it do have extra quests and things in it that weren't in the original Super Nintendo. So if you're a 
a purist and go back and play the Super Nintendo version, there are cutscenes and side quests that are not included that they've added that don't add anything to the main quest, but they're out there for more content. And then additionally, I just found a thing called Ruby Warrior the other day that was super fun to play around with. It's a small script. It's by Block.io. You are... Have you ever played... Do you remember Mario Teaches Typing? I know of it. It's like Mario Teaches Typing for learning Ruby, where you are you're using the command line and make and writing methods and functions and all of this stuff to make a little warrior guy go and kill these monsters and solve these puzzles and you get one turn you can do one action a turn and you're having to write out the ruby code to script it and it is just a lot of fun to get used to thinking like that thinking as a programmer and just being able to go through the go through these levels and see this little dude do his thing kill these slimes and shoot the wizards with his bow and arrow and just learn how to algorithmically make sure that all of these things happen it was just super fun and And I'll put a link in there where if you're interested in programming, that it's a fun way to spend some time and uh, see if you like Ruby. That's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I like it is cool. I like it when they try to take coding and turn it into a game. Sometimes it's more effective. Sometimes it's less so. But when you find one that you like, it can be a lot of fun. So I'm I'm glad you found that one. This one is actually a lot of fun. There are some that I don't like that are just like, well, you tried to gamify this and I don't know what you're talking about. But this one was it's very straightforward and it walks you through the steps and there were some that really stumped me that I'm like why is this not working I'm like oh because I didn't pass an argument I get it and just that kind of thing but it's very good very good cool so for me I've been kind of geeking out about uh, all these NX like reported rumors and leaks and there's no hard mm. evidence for anything yet but I just I love the speculation because I always end up buying Nintendo consoles. So mm-hmm. the the rumors that came out this week, it's basically the system that I want. I want it to be a powerful handheld system I can take with me anywhere, come home, slap it into some kind of dock to use like external controllers. And by putting it in there, it'll be, you know, shore powered and it'll plug right into your TV via HDMI. So it's like a console um like a, a set-top console and um, handheld hybrid, which has been the rumor for a long time. But there are new rumors out this week, so I've been geeking out about that. I hope I hope some of those are true, because I really like what I've been hearing. But they're unsubstantiated, so we're not going to talk about those a whole lot. The thing I wanted to talk about was Star Wars Celebration happened, and it actually happened a while ago. But like we said earlier, we were actually gone last week, so we didn't get to talk about it right after it happened. But <laughs> yeah. uh, there's an Ahsoka book coming soon, there's Thrawn is back. He's back Yay! and he's canon. BJ is happy because Thrawn is back. Did I send you the video of me screaming about Thrawn? Because I sent it to pretty much everyone I know. I, I think I did. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and okay. So Thrawn was a big character in the extended universe in, well, some of the core books of the extended universe. He wasn't in a ton of the books. If you look at overall, how many there were, but some of the key ones that happened like right after the uh, old movies ended to bring him back into the canon with the new extended universe stuff is really cool. So he's going to be back in the next season of Rebels, and he's also going to get his own book. So both of those made me happy. And then the really cool thing that I love the most out of Star Wars Celebration was the new Star Wars Rogue One Celebration reel. You saw this, right? Yeah, I did. Basically, it's like 
an extended teaser trailer, but it also shows off all of this behind the scenes movie making stuff, mm-hmm. which I also geek out about. And it was just cool. It's like a good two or three minutes worth of content. And it doesn't really show that much new, but it shows just enough that it made me very excited. <laughs> I am stupidly excited for Rogue One. And I didn't think I was going to be that for a long time, it was very hard for me to get into Rogue One. And now that they've started releasing things and I'm seeing costumes, stills and all of the, you know, the celebration reels and this, I'm really excited. This movie, if they're doing it right, this is going to be magnificent. And it seems like it's going to have a different tone. And I think it has mm-hmm. to. They have to do something to establish these Star Wars anthology movies, all of these one-off movies that they're going to do outside yep. of the main numbered series. They have to make them different. So especially with this first one, you have to have a different tone and a different style of movie making. You have to break away. And everything they've shown, it looks like they are doing that. And I appreciate that. I actually, I also watched the entire um panel that they had about rogue one that was really interesting to just listen to some of the people talk about their own characters like alan tudyk like i didn't really even know that he was in this movie but yep after seeing him on this panel and seeing a little bit of the footage they showed of his uh droid character i'm super excited to see that droid character in action you know just like one of the guys on the panel dropped a huge spoiler because he didn't <laughs> speak English and they immediately pivoted away from him as soon as he dropped it. But like, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys who are listening. But yeah, the, he, he dropped a huge spoiler. But yeah, I mean, just the panel was exciting. The Rogue One celebration real footage was exciting. I'm just I'm excited for Star Wars. Imagine that, guys. I'm excited for Star Wars. I know it's crazy. And I haven't been excited for Star Wars recently that that I kind of burned myself out on Star Wars with The Force Awakens and all of the post Force Awakens and then the release of Force Awakens. Like I went all in on Star Wars for a good four months where it was pretty much what I what I cared about more than anything in the world. And then I think it may have been this morning. It was either this morning or yesterday morning. The days blur together sometimes. And Jennifer said something at breakfast when I was eating. And I just leaned over and I was just, I started just talking about all of these intricacies of why the Star Wars universe is logical and makes sense. And there's all of this stuff. And I was like, I just got myself excited about Star Wars again. She's like, yeah, you did. I stopped paying attention. Uh, <laughs> you just started talking and doing your thing again. But that's what I do. I'm like you. I just get so excited about it that I just go off on tangents about Star Wars and can't control myself. And it's hitting me again. I see Thrawn and I'm getting that way. I see all the stuff for Rogue One and I get really, really crazy excited for what they're going to be doing. And I never really get unexcited for Star Wars. I'm always looking at whatever the next piece of media is that's coming out Mm. for it. And I'm always like at a low level of excitement for it. So um, I'm actually reading Aftermath, the second Aftermath book right now, which I'll probably probably talk about that next week after I finish it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm still excited for Rogue One and I'm excited for all the other Star Wars things. And I think you need to get around to finishing season two of Rebels because you will like the end of it. I will love it. I know. Yeah, season two of Rebels was fantastic when they're talking about Jedi and Sith and like the main storyline moving forward. There are a couple there are a couple season two episodes that are just like one offs that are character centric that are whatever. But yeah, if you sit down and finish it, I know you'll like it. Oh, and I even have it on Amazon Instant where I can. I just haven't. I've been watching Gravity Falls and it's so good. (laughs) 
Oh, good. Okay, well, with that, we should probably wrap it up. Um, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address, as always, is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. If you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and tell us what shows you want updates about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's, on Twitter. I also run Video Game News Now, which is a podcast on our network. If you're interested in hearing video game headline news very quickly, check that out. There's always a link in the show notes. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beege, and I host the Geek Fitness Health Hacks podcast that you can find everywhere you buy podcasts or download them or whatever. And I'm also at geekfitness.net. I would also like to give a uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go buy my books to you. Um, you should probably go to Amazon or your favorite place. I released a box set of my science fiction trilogy called the Technomage Archive this week. It is $5.99 for like 1500 pages of sci-fi awesome so you might want to go there just go google my name bj keaton or actually should amazon my name bj keaton and uh buy the technomage archive book buy me things please he has audiobooks too guys anyway yeah, you, we've been void and beach i do have your, audiobooks they're good they're good with your geek to geek podcast that'll do it for this week see you next week geeks bye